Although American Civil War and UK history is a hobby, there are small costs associated with running a podcast. So if you enjoy our content, please support the show. You can do this by pressing the support the show button or pressing on the link to buy me a coffee in the show notes. Thank you for your continued support. Daz, American Civil War and UK history. Cheers. This podcast has a PowerPoint presentation that goes along with the show. So if you would like to see the PowerPoint presentation, then head over to our YouTube channel at American Civil War and UK History. Hello everyone, I'm Daz and welcome to American Civil War and UK History podcast. This presentation is available as a video on our YouTube channel and as a podcast from wherever you get your podcasts from. Remember we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. And today I'm joined by historian and friend Tim Willing. Welcome Tim. Hey Daz, uh, good to see you again. And today we're going to be discussing the Battle of Hampton Roads, which is a very famous naval battle during the American Civil War in March of 1862. So let's start with the story of uh, Hampton Roads and where it starts. It actually starts in April 1861 at Gospel Shipyard in Virginia. And so just give us a little brief history, Tim, of the shipyard and the story leading up to what happens in April 1861. Okay, so shipyard actually dates back to the 18th century. Uh, it began as the Gosport shipyard. Uh, it was destroyed during the revolution, rebuilt afterwards, and became home to the first operational dry dock in the U.S. And there's been, to my understanding, a continuously operating dry dock at that location ever since. Today it is known as the Norfolk Naval Shipyard even though it's in a town across the Elizabeth River uh, from Norfolk called Portsmouth. Um, Congress passed, uh, took it over basically uh, in 1794 uh, and basically leased the shipyard from its from the state of Virginia. Uh, the keel of the Chesapeake was laid there. Uh, which was one of the first six frigates. So if you've ever heard of the six frigates uh, book, six frigates, I think by Ian Tolb, I may be mistaken. Um, that was the Chesapeake was the first ship laid there. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Um, fast forward to April 1861. The shipyard is... Um, taken over by confederacy shortly after virginia secedes uh so fort sumter happens early april april 20th i believe they destroyed the uh federal uh forces the navy destroyed the uh shipyard at gosport uh fearing that the confederates would take control of the facility which they of course did um and that was actually April 21st, excuse me. Um, yeah, the Confederates did take control of it. They were unable to get one of the, the prize ships of the Navy out. Um, however, that was the, the uh, USS Merrimack. Uh, and rather than give that up to the Confederates, they burned it to the waterline. And I'm sure we will talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But that basically takes us up to... Uh, Confederate control of Gosport. Yeah. And in general, Tim, can you give us like a brief overview of ironclads up until, uh, you know, to this point just before the American Civil War and then obviously leading into the American Civil War? 
Okay. Um, yeah. Excuse uh, me. So the first of all, let me backtrack just a little bit because I threw out a lot of terms that people may not know anything about. So what is Hampton Roads, I should say? So Hampton Roads is basically a connection point. If you, you're familiar with the Civil War, you know Virginia has three peninsulas. The last one is uh, what's known as the York James Peninsula. It has the uh, York River on the northern, northeastern side, the James River on the southern, southwestern side of it, uh, where those, basically where those rivers meet, where the Elizabeth River coming up from the south comes in. That confluence point um, at the southern tip of the York James Peninsula, it's what's known as Newport News, that body of water uh, that separates the peninsula from Norfolk is Hampton Roads. So uh, go back to that. Um, and so you want to know about ironclad. So ironclads were basically, they realized that the idea would work during the Crimean War when the the French employed what were known as floating batteries, ironclad batteries, basically. Um, they weren't propelled. They basically, uh, but they were able to destroy Russian shore defenses uh, in the Crimea. And the first um, ironclad was actually built in 1859. It was a French vessel called La Glory. Um, the English actually had the second in October of 1861. Uh, that was the HMS Warrior. Um, though even then, during the American Civil War, the the concept of ironclads was already being developed. You had the city-class uh, gunboats that were very prevalent in the West and actually engaged uh, before the Battle of the Ironclads in March of 62. So they participated in uh, Fort Henry, Fort Donaldson in February of 62. Time back to your earlier episode. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And uh, let's get on to the construction of the USS Virginia then. Um, obviously, as you said um, at the beginning there about the um, gospel and uh, them leaving uh, the uh, USS uh, Merrimack um, down to the uh, the water line uh so um firstly uh who comes up with the idea of constructing this uh ironclad the uss virginia uh, css virginia sorry i do apologize um give us an idea of the materials used where it was built how many guns it had you know um how many crew would be on it um and its vulnerabilities and things like that okay so um the idea really came from the confederate secretary of the navy stephen mallory he gave the order to basically use uh basically after the confederate skin control of gosport they identified that the the engines the much of the keel or the hull of the merrimack was still intact so they were just going to reuse that um so they basically clapped iron over uh the, the belt line basically at the water line just above um this was designed uh by a confederate navy lieutenant known as john mercer brook was the uh designer um 
it had let's see here it was uh one to three inches of iron belt armor once again it, in the picture it would basically be below the gun ports kind of right there at the water line below that and one of its vulnerabilities was just the the keel or, or the wooden hull of the of the old merrimack um it had uh ultimately though it ended up having 800 tons of iron in total placed on top of it most of the the armor was on what's known as the casemate or casements which is the area basically the, the gun deck um very lightly armored i think only an inch on the the actual deck the horizontal s surface but the um the uh casements had i think one to sorry one to three inches at the belt and four inches um at, on the casements themselves and then below that was 24 inches of solid oak so it's 24 inches of oak plus four inches of armor um and that armor was angled at 36 degrees so if you can kind of see on that photo um below the stack it's angled designed to deflect the the shots um it had uh a, not in huge armament uh they had four brooks rifles um two sorry six dogger and smooth bores uh nine inch dogger and smooth bores and then two boat how or two uh uh howitzers 12 pound howitzers on the 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 top to help repel borders um and that was the armament um its biggest weakness was that that water line um and as they found the, the more ordnance you expend wouldn't believe it but the lighter the ship gets and the lighter it gets the more it raises out of the water it potentially exposing uh that vulnerable uh point below the water line its other big problem was it had two engines so i think it had two two screws um total four boilers um but it was very cumbersome to steer so it would steer um uh it would take a mile to do a full circle um so it was very unresponsive rudder basically uh though it could make five to six knots which is about six miles six to seven miles per hour um and it carried a crew of 320 men so uh it was much you know, it was, you know, smaller ship than the Merrimack had been, uh, but carried nearly as many people. I uh, lacked some of the maneuverability. And the iron, one of the things the Confederates didn't know was that, so while they were able to recover that engine, uh, prior to the uh, Confederates gaining control there at Gosport, uh, the Merrimack's engines were actually designed to be overhauled. Or scheduled to be overhauled, so um, that may have been a little bit fortuitous. Um, what else do I want to say? I did mention the turning radius took a mile. Um, that turn to go a mile would take the ship 45 minutes, um, and that would play a role um, on March 9th of 62 during the Battle of the Ironclads.
Mm-hmm. And also, I understand it had a RAM on the front as well. So just tell us about the, the idea behind having a RAM on the front of the, the ship, because it's not the only one that has RAMs. There's plenty of those around, isn't there, at the time? Right. They, people have been ramming since the ancient times. So the idea of ha- having a RAM, that's a quick, expeditious way to make a big hole in the waterline and sink a ship. Uh, it was a 1,500-pound iron RAM. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, really cool, thanks. So uh, it just makes me—it's uh, beggar's belief that these things float, isn't it? But um, interesting right. fact about the fact that as it gets lighter, it comes out the water a bit. I didn't even really ever think about that. So thanks for uh, adding that. Okay, let's talk about the construction of the USS Monitor. So okay, obviously, so- obviously um, and also at this point, you know, do the US know? And the federal government know that the confederates are building um the virginia and is well, that why so talk us through the the you know how this all comes about <laughs> yes yeah, so keep in mind during all of this the u.s can, still has control at fort monroe basically right across from hampton roads um word escapes there is a, a escaped slave who basically sends word north um that this ship was being built uh there are delays in the virginia um it takes as i mentioned it was 800 tons of iron um getting procuring all that iron it had to come from melting down railway ties and basically any source iron they could get the confederates just didn't have it um so that took a while um so the union knows they need to respond and um, they turned to a guy named John Erickson. He's a Swedish immigrant. Uh, he was kind of ticked off at the, at the Navy for, base, for some back payments or owed payments. Um, but he agreed to do this, and the, the USS Monitor was built in uh, 101 days, some say 98. Um, the turret, however, was designed by a different guy, a guy named Theodore Timby. So not a lot of people give him credit because they give John Erickson all the credit. Uh, But it had nearly, what, 60, close to 70 patentable inventions on the monitor. Wow. Uh, Made really quick. Um, Crewed by 49 officers and men, so 49 to to 300. It was more armored. Uh, It was 11 inches near the gun ports on the turret, 8 inches elsewhere. Um, it had, uh, the Virginia used nine pound Dahlgren smooth bores. This, the monitor was designed for 15 pound Dahlgren smooth bores, but they couldn't get them in in time. So they used 11 inch. So it was still bigger. Uh, during the battle, they, they fired it with a 15 pound charge, but it, the gun was rated for a 30 pound charge and they assessed that it actually could have penetrated the Virginia's armor. Uh, but they would be concerned. They'd never tested it firing a full charge in that turret to see what, you know, imagine being in a turret and a breach explodes. It's going to kill everybody. Um, so per- perhaps better that they never tried. Uh, it had three to five inches as opposed to one to three uh, armor at the belt uh, there at the waterline. And the, water, the armor goes below the waterline on the monitor. Excuse me. Uh, it was capable of six knots, so seven miles an hour, so about the same speed. But one of the bigger advantages for the monitor is that it, its draft, the amount 
you know, it's basic, it's depth uh, is 10 feet. The Virginia's is 21. Um, and that, that also plays a role. Um, so once again, um, uh, designed uh, with a lot of different patents. Uh, it's, it's designed to go 360 degrees and can do that in about 45 seconds, I believe. Uh, it's got a lever steam engine um, and one prop. Uh, it turns a little bit faster, um, but compared to Virginia's bigger advantages is it's uh, lower to the waterline, um, turns faster, um, and draws less water. So um, those are its big advantages. Yeah. And again, I'll just um, bring up the turret. So that is actually absolutely revo revolutionary, isn't it, for that time period? And yes. is that what's adapted then later on in history when you get, you know, rotating tank turrets and, and you know, even on ships rotating guns eventually and, you know. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Um, so... You know, people have got to live on these uh, these uh, vessels. So what is life like for the crews on these two vessels? Because it must be cramped conditions in there. So, the, you know, it's they don't have air conditioning. So any ship can get claustrophobic. Uh, the Monitor in particular, they struggled very much with the heat. Um, it would get hotter in there. You know, it's a big iron, floating iron cheese box, basically. Uh, so it's attracting all the heat. So uh, they could put up sunshades on, on the roof. You can kind of see in that bottom picture, you could put a, a covering over that to try to to aid in cooling. But it got very hot, and people would spend as much time on deck assuming that the weather was cooperating as they could. Um, and the Virginia was, was not much better. Um, it had more openings, so the interior wouldn't get quite as hot. Um, but it, it wasn't pleasant. You've got the, you know, steam engines um, working. These things, the steam is being, you know, it's being fed by coal or fired by coal. So uh, it gets quite hot in addition to the, the heat from the sun. And uh, also these uh, type of vessels, they couldn't go too deep either, I take it. No, as I said, uh, 10 feet on the monitor, 21 on the Virginia. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, again, I know you did talk about it a little bit. Um, well, you did talk about it at the beginning, but again, just give us a, an idea of where Hampton Roads is and because uh, um, uh, this time I've actually got a map for that. Okay. So if you look at the bottom right-hand corner of the map, you have Norfolk. Uh, basically, that what separates Norfolk from Portsmouth there is the Elizabeth River. Uh, just below where it shows Portsmouth on that bottom right-hand side is where the Gosport Naval Yard is. Um, uh, the Elizabeth River comes up flowing slightly to the northwest. Uh, that point, I don't know if it mentioned, yep, Sewell's Point there, kind of uh, center right of the picture. Uh, that's the current location of the Norfolk Naval Base, one of the largest, if not the largest point naval base in the world uh, just on the right side of the map top right hand corner is fort monroe uh northeast of that is where the york river is so basically you have the york river dumps out into james or into chesapeake bay uh you have 
coming in from the northwest, you have uh, James River. Uh, and as James River gets to that point at the southern tip of, of the York James Peninsula, that's uh, Newport News Point. Um, and that confluence of the Elizabeth River and the James River is what forms Hampton Roads. Uh, so they call it the roadstead uh, where those two meet. And then Hampton Roads jumps into Chesapeake Bay where it's met with the York River um, before it empties very quickly after that into the Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's move on to events of March 8th, 1862. And uh, this is where uh, the action really starts. And, of course, the uh, the CSS Virginia causes absolute havoc. So, Tim, take us through what happens on the 8th of March, 1862, please. Okay, so the uh, Virginia leaves early that morning um, from Gosport. Uh, they clear Seals Point there where the Norfolk Naval Base is around about noon. Uh, move out into the roadstead, and then we'll hang a left, um, headed for Newport News Point. At anchor, you know, doing laundry uh, and stuff that day are two ships that the Virginia has its sight on. Um, the USS uh, Cumberland and the USS Congress. Uh Accompanying the Virginia are two gunboats, the Jamestown and the uh, Patrick Henry. Um, they'll, a, you know, they'll uh, contribute to the fighting. Uh, so basically, the, the Virginia decides it's going to head for the uh, Cumberland. Uh, and the Cumberland sits uh, near one of the southern, what's now one of the southernmost piers at uh, Newport News Naval Shipyard. Um, and, and there it remains. Uh, as it's as Virginia is steaming for the Cumberland, uh, it trades broadsides with the Congress, but they know they're going to be able to come back to the Congress, so they're they're not worried about it. Um, they head straight for a Congress or the Cumberland and ram it. Um, the Cum Cumberland very quickly sinks. Um, losses are are pretty horrendous, but I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but rather than rest on its laurels, the Virginia uh, moves to the the Congress, which has tried to sail, maneuver east, but runs aground, um, trying to bring its guns to bear on the Virginia. Um, and basically, the the Virginia sets it ablaze, you know, with its broadsides, um, and the Congress runs up at you know, runs down its colors and surrenders. Uh, the Confederate commander, uh, flag officer um, Franklin Buchanan, I think. Yeah, Franklin Buchanan. He goes topside, um, but there's a, a camp there in Newport News. Camp Butler is what it was called. Um, and Union troops basically out from Camp Butler open fire on, on Buchanan as he's accepting the surrender of the Congress. Uh, but the Congress burns and then explodes during the night. The Cumberland's sunk. Uh, and it, it was actually the worst day or deadliest day in the history of the U.S. Navy up to that point and would be the deadliest day in the U.S. Navy to include the sinking of the USS Maine until Pearl Harbor. Um, 
It was 261 killed, 108 wounded during the battle. For the Cumberland, it was uh, 121 killed out of a crew of 376, and the Congress was 120 out of 434. Um, after setting the, con you know, the surrender of the Congress, they turned it, their attention to USS Minnesota, which had come in from Chesapeake Bay, but it run aground. Uh, there are other ships, though, and basically long guns, it's getting late. The long guns keep the Virginia and the, its escorts at bay, so they elect to move back in the Elizabeth River and uh, wait out the night. Mm -hmm. And that basically ends the fighting on March 8th. Okay. And where is the USS Monitor at this point during that uh, action that's going on on the 8th? Uh, they are steaming down. Uh, well, I think they're being towed, but they're on their way down from New York. They're nearly there mm -hmm. uh, during that action. They're probably approaching the bay. Okay, cool. Okay, so then that obviously does take us on to the famous battle of the two ironclads. And uh, it's, um, yeah, it's quite a clash, isn't it? So, Tim, take us through the, the what happens at the Battle of Hampton Roads on March 9th, 1862, and take us through the action, please. Okay, so March 9th, so in the evening of March 8th, uh, round about dark, the crew of the USS Minnesota see a strange shape floating cheese box coming up on its starboard side. So it's right side, same side, actually. I had meant, forgot to mention it. The, the Cumberland had been rammed on its starboard side. But the monitor came up during the night, uh, anchored on the right side of the Minnesota. Minnesota's anchor, you know, pointed kind of to the southwest. As you can see on that, uh, that, um, that map um the virginia has heard a little you know the south has heard a little bit about the monitor there's spies too um but their objective on the ninth you know leaving the elizabeth river is to uh wipe out the remainder of the uh north atlantic blockading squadron there uh and hampton roads so the virginia leaves Heads from Minnesota, and then coming from the the bow, uh, out in front of the bow is this floating cheese box, and they quickly identify it as a monitor. Uh, Franklin Buchanan's no longer aboard, you know, having been wounded the day before. He's turned over command to his uh, executive officer, this uh, lieutenant known as, uh, he's got an interesting name. His name is Lieutenant Catesby. App AP Roger Jones, hmm. very interesting name. Um, but he's got you know got experience in the U.S. Navy before the war. Um, but basically, what you see there, this this twisting and turning, you know, the monitor and the Virginia basically just start blasting away at each other. Uh, it's probable, given the the increased size of the monitor's guns, they were doing damage. Uh, the dents to the Virginia were much greater than those on the monitor. And as I mentioned earlier, the monitor's guns were rated to fire twice as much powder as they actually were. And they probably could have easily penetrated the, the Virginia's armor um, had they wanted to. Um, but basically, they, they end up circling. Um, the Confederates, though, scored probably the biggest victory when looking through the 
the uh, view slit, if you can see, the commander of the vessel of the monitor would not be located in the turret. That would have been uh, held at the time by, I think, Lieutenant um, Lieutenant Green, actually. Uh, he's worth mentioning um, because his uh, it was Lieutenant Samuel Green. He was, uh, I think, an 1840s uh, graduate of the Naval Academy. Um, he was the executive officer and his father was George Sears Green, uh, Union General, uh, famous for Culp's Hill at Gettysburg. His son was a Navy officer. Uh, but initially in the, if you're looking at this picture, that little box right at the bow, that's where the commander would be. And there's view slits. And at one point a Confederate shell hits that and the gunpowder explodes and the, the powder exploding, not splinters or anything like that, but the gunpowder um, burns the eyes of the commander, Lieutenant John L. Warden, who's been in the U.S. Navy since 1834. He'll become an admiral after the war. Um, so a very effective officer. He'll help, uh, he'll serve with Admiral Farragut at Mobile Bay, but he's basically out of fight. So the monitor will basically pull off um, and the Virginia will uh, briefly actually run aground, and they'll luckily be able to back off. Uh, but the, Jones wants to keep up the fight, but he's reminded that basically the shifting tides of Virginia draws uh, more water, as, as we talked about, than the monitor does, 11 feet more, and is at risk of not being able to clear the various sandbars in Hampton Roads. Uh, so it ultimately withdraws back uh, into the Elizabeth River. And the, the fight is a draw. Um, with the big advantage, you know, that fight's a draw, but the Minnesota and the other ships of the blockading squadron survive. So in my opinion, the Monitor wins that day. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas the day before, obviously, Virginia wins a, a yeah. significant victory. I mean, so again, this battle goes on for four hours, doesn't it? And I mean, everyone must have heard it. And what was it? What would you think it was like for the people on, like, you know, some of the ships that was, you know, like the um, the uh, Minnesota and 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 that seeing this? And do you think they would be, be been watching this uh, battle unfold? Yeah, and I, I I do wonder whether certainly some must have grasped that that this was history making. You know, as we mentioned, you know, the French built the first ironclad vessel, but this was the very first time that two ironclads had engaged each other. Um, so, you know, if something like that happens today, we can be rest assured that most people probably wouldn't know the significance of it because they may not pay attention to military affairs like that. It was probably no different then. But just the noise the, the, of the guns firing the clanking of the shells against the armor uh, would have made quite the racket. Um, I'm not sure that there's any accurate re reflection of how many shells definitively hit um, hit that day. I mean, the Virginia got struck the day before um, by both the Congress and the Cumberland, but um, never, never penetrated. Um, but yeah, it, it probably would have been a spectacle viewed from the Union troops there at Camp Butler. It would have been viewed by the, the sailors on the Minnesota and the other vessels there in the roadstead. 
the Union Garrison there at Fort Monroe, and then you have the citizens of of Hampton, Newport News, and and Norfolk uh, likely would have seen it. So, yeah, uh, I mean, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I just love this uh, painting. It's just amazing. It really captures that atmosphere. Um, I just want to bring up again, again, I know we've talked about condition for, for the guys uh, when they're sailing these ships, but it must have been absolutely horrendous to be on board as they are both being bombarded for four hours nonstop. So what, just give us an idea of what that was probably like for these guys. I expect it was probably deafening, especially for the guys in the casements, uh, namely the turret and the... Um, uh, the casements there on the Virginia, the smoke probably was, was uh, heavy, uh, especially, I think, I mean, if I remember correctly, I think the monitor, one of the innovations is that they had a re kind of, not necessarily a recoil system, but it didn't go as, as far. Um, so more of the smoke probably stayed out. Um than what's the case in Virginia. Um, but just the, the sheer noise. I mean, you're, imagine being in that turret when a big 11-inch, you know, or 9, in, nine to 11-inch ball basically comes smacking, you know, at nearly the speed of sound against mm. solid iron that's only a few inches away from your, your face there, uh, especially in the monitor. Uh, the monitor wasn't as thick in terms of the oak, more iron, less oak. Um, but it was probably just as bad, uh, just this continuously loud clanging uh, against the hulls of these ships. Yeah, you just can't imagine what that must have been like for them. Yeah, yeah and then when they, like, during the, during the engagement, they tried to ram each other. Uh, one thing that the Virginia didn't know, they actually did not know, that they lost their ram the day before oh, wow. uh, when they rammed the Cumberland, the Cumberland sank so quickly that it basically pulled off the ram. Um, and it was found and sold decades later. Wow. Um, so, but it, it was common technique. And during the engagement, they tried to ram each other. Yeah. And uh, again, as you said, it was a draw, um, but technically a union victory technically um so what happens afterwards then tim take us through what happens to uh, both vessels after this this uh, famous battle uh, of hampton roads so the um let's see so the virginia moves back it's basically under repair until april of 1862 they'll basically try to sally out a couple more times, but never really, um, never really do anything. They're driven away. The monitor's still hanging around. Um, basically, so it sits there in less than two months, literally almost two months. It was May 10th. Union troops occupied Norfolk. Uh, the Virginia was now steam-powered and was basically nothing more than a steam-powered heavy battery. Uh, wasn't designed to go into the ocean, so they couldn't go try to run through the blockading fleet. The only option would be try to get up the 
James forever. Uh, but they identified that it was just, once again, I, I keep coming back to the draft. It draws 21 feet of water. Um, and it can't get up there. So they determined that they're going to have to uh, dispose of the vessel. So that night, the crew evacuates. Jones sets powder uh, charges. And on the, the morning of May 11th, large explosion or the fire uh, and the powder hits the magazines uh, and the sh Virginia explodes uh, there in the James River. Um, the monitor doesn't last much longer, actually. Uh, it's under tow um, later that year, I think October, no, sorry, August. Hold on. Excuse me. It was being towed in December of 1862 uh, by the tug, the USS Rhode Island, and off the coast of Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. Um, you know, it ran into a heavy storm. Storm. It uh, caused the monitor to take on water rapidly, and the monitor went down on the... 31st of December, 1862, um, and would remain lost until 1973 when they find the, the wreckage uh, 18 miles southeast of, off of Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. Um, years later, into the 1990s, they recover the turret, uh, which included the two Dahlgren guns. Uh, it also included two, the remains of two crew members who went down with the vessel. Um, they were uh, reburied uh, or buried in Arlington National Cemetery. And the, um, the turret uh, and guns went to the what's known as the Mariner's Museum in Newport News. So very fitting. Uh, went under uh, conservation for the better part of a decade. And today you can go into the Mariner's Museum. You can see the turret of the monitor, the original guns. They also have a recreated uh, cross-section of the turret. Uh, it's a fantastic exhibit. Also there on site is one of the guns of the Virginia. Um, I think they also have the monitor's anchor, or maybe it's a Virginia's anchor. It's been a while since I've been there. Um, but other ships that looked like the Virginia were produced by the Confederacy, but the monitor probably had a bigger impact because it generated an entire class of ship. Uh, the monitor class, you know, uh, similar designs, you know, the turret, uh, ships called monitors were produced up through the early 20th century. Yeah. And, uh, all that's left to say is I've really enjoyed listening to you tell, tell us the, um, the story behind Hampton Roads, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks.